There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Country music star Clay Walker performs at Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races in West Virginia on Friday night. He joined me to discuss his biggest hits from If I Can Make a Living to A Few Questions, as well as his brave battle with multiple sclerosis. Hey, Jason, it's Clay. How are you? Hey, Clay Walker. Thanks so much for joining us on WTOP today. Oh, man. Proud to be. Thank you. Thank you again for having us. It's been a crazy 18 months, but when did you get back out doing shows? We got back out uh, pretty much midsummer. Um, this was a, you know, a, it's been a great summer. I got to say that we've had a lot of shows booked and um, well attended and only, uh, only one or two got canceled, you know, after our rescheduled, should I say, after COVID really kind of kicked back up, but things are great. Uh, looking forward to getting to West Virginia. It's always been one of my favorite States to play, and a lot of country music fans there. And uh, I can just say, it for for myself, I'm sure as most entertainers are, it's just really good to be back out and see people participating. And you know, I mean, it's a uh, country music is a way of life for a lot of folks, and it's one of the reasons why I love it so much. Oh yeah. Now, before you got back out there, how did you spend this crazy 18 months or whatever it's been? I mean, did you did you stay at home to get a lot of songwriting done? Did you? Just hang out with family and friends or, you know, give us a window into how Clay Walker's been the pandemic. Sure. Well, you know, the, the pandemic was obviously uh, affected everyone, you know, worldwide and uh, especially here in the U.S., you know, where we, we know each other and can communicate, you know, um, it was it was a trying time. And I, I got to say that, you know, a lot of good things came out of, uh, uh, you know, being more or less locked down. Um, I got to spend a lot of time with my family, which was I mean, just very uh, awesome. You know, as an entertainer, I, my whole career I've been traveling, and and uh, it was it was unusual at first. But as I accepted, you know, that, that we're all locked down, it was just really great and wonderful to be with my family in such a it was stretch of time, and and be able to you know play with my kids and and you know, nurture those relationships, and it was great. And then again, I, I got to write bunch I, I wrote every song on the on the new album uh, texas tennessee which was uh, you know has been a a really uh you know my favorite uh album i've done you know just strictly because there was so much time to to get it done there was i didn't have to try to fit it in between touring and fit it in between something else you know a, a cma show or an acm show and just everything just uh, was really slowed down and and I, I think most of us entertainers learned a lot from that. You know, something that I have not personally experienced since my career began, and and, and I cherish it. You know, and, and we're we're back out at it again, and you know that's that's great because it it means that uh, that things are picking back up and people are working, and 
and people are coming to concerts. So I love that piece of it, but I'll never ever take for granted, you know, uh, what it did afford me. Oh yeah, I'm glad you found some time to be productive and and perspective during during the pandemic. And I know I have high risk folks, you know, in my, in my household, and, uh, and I know you're you're high risk too. It's nothing you can mess around with the, the pandemic. So no, I know you were diagnosed with MS like in 1996, and actually when when my colleague Dave Johnson passed me this interview, he he's famously been battling um, MS here in DC, our, our sports reporter, and um, he thought you'd be great to talk to because you've managed to pull off this amazing country career while while going through that struggle with MS. Um, remind our listeners about your nonprofit. It's called the Band Against MS. It's founded in, I guess, what, 2003? Uh, yeah. Thank you, Jason, very much. So, you know, ha- having multiple sclerosis diagnosed in 1996, it, it, it is a comorbidity. So I, you know, I, had, I had some additional concerns, you know, that I talked through with my doctor. And, and you know, he, he highly recommended that I get vaccinated, you know, because of the MS. And, and so uh, I obviously did. And, and it's, uh, you know, I, I look at, I look at MS, you know, so much differently now than when I was diagnosed with it. When I was first diagnosed with it, I was terrified, you know, and, and the, the, uh, the prognosis was, was hard to swallow. You know, most of the doctors who I'd seen, you know, told me that it was going to be a, a pretty horrific road. And, uh, and it turned out not to be, you know, and that's a wonderful thing. Uh, I, I thank God, uh, first of all. And then I, I also think my family, you know, that, that stuck by me and, and has continued to do that. And uh, I'm very blessed in, in that way. You know, I, I don't know what I'd do without that, that support system. And I started a foundation called uh, Band Against MS. And, and, and by the way, we will be rebranding uh, the name of the of the foundation next year it will just be the clay walker foundation for ms and i'm i'm proud of the work that we've been able to do through the years and, and that has been you know raising money for for not only a, a cure but raising money to just help people you know understand the disease better and then personally helping people you know with the disease that may need that may need help and that's been a, a labor of love you know since it began and uh, we've we've come a long way we have a we have a wonderful golf tournament out at uh, Pebble Beach in in partnership with the Pebble Beach Company, and uh, would like to invite anybody who wants to to join us out there. It's uh, the last week of June every year, three day tournament, and uh, we play uh, Pebble Beach, Spyglass, and Spanish Bay. It's it's a lot of fun. In the middle of the tournament, we uh, we wear knickers and uh, and play this thing called the Clayboy Cup, which is a lot of fun as well. So I've the charities brought me closer to uh, to a lot of folks living with MS and the people surrounding them uh, that are supporting them uh, living with MS. So I, I am very blessed in every way. That is so great. You're able to to help out um, in in uh, with other people dealing with it. That's fantastic. Um, well, take me back to the beginning. Whenever I have someone on, I love to hear sort of your journey. So I know you were born in Texas in what, like 1969. How did you? You know, how did you get into music in the first place? Like, was was country music on, you know, around the household, or you know, when did you pick up your first instrument? I want to know how you got bit by that bug. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's not not a whole lot to that. It's just I grew up in a family that that played country music um, all the time. You know, they just like uh, I grew up around a lot of cousins. Um, my family. Uh, uh, had, had inherited you know through the years uh, I grew up on a piece of land that uh, that had been passed down in my family while Texas was still a republic you know, before it was even a state and um, 
there was just this, uh, I don't know, this DNA thing, I guess, you know, that, you know, we, we grew up, you know, ranching and farming and uh, it was a way of life. And, and, and it was all of my uncles and aunts, you know, on this, this piece of property and all of their children, you know, in different houses. And, and we, so I grew up in a close community of family and, you know, every weekend, and you know, even during the week, you know, they would sit around and pick guitars and play play different instruments, even banjo or yeah, everything and sing. So it, it was always in front of me. You know, I, I never was without music. And you know, I somehow, you know, I did get bitten by the bug and I entered a couple of talent contests, and did well. And, and uh, you know, getting in front of live audience, just that turns into an addiction and and uh, mm -hmm. and the rest is is kind of kind of history. You know, I, I just got noticed by, by by some people, you know, in Nashville that were passing through, and uh, they liked the way I sounded. And you know, that person that noticed me just happened to be James Stroud, who was the number one producer at the time in Nashville. He was producing Clint Black and Little Texas, and uh, gosh, just just a Charlie Daniels, plethora of acts, just just a great you know producer and. Uh, he liked me and said, "Hey, why don't you come to Nashville and let's record record an album?" And so I went to Nashville, and uh, it was way different than I expected. You know, um, I, I I just had no idea. You know, it's like a deer deer in the headlights. And uh, and once it started, that's when it got fast. You know, whenever my first song came out, um, you know, it it seemed like forever waiting for that to happen. And then when that first song came out. You know, it was so just like hitting a super highway, you know, moving at a speed, moving at the speed of sound more or less. And uh, George Strait, you know, invited me to go out on tour with him for the first year. And, and I did that. And Alan Jackson invited me to go out with him. So I, I did that. And after two years of, of opening for George and, and Alan, um, it was time to headline. And so I, I went straight into headlining and we were selling out arenas you know, all over the country. And, and uh, it's just been a whirlwind. It just seems like yesterday that I started. I'm not kidding. Oh, yeah. It's in a blink of an eye. What is it? Kenny said, don't blink. And <laughs> now you're here. Um, well, I, there, you've had so many you've had so many hits over the years. And, you know, I grew up loving your music and my wife, too. We, we, we love your stuff. Um, we'd be here all day if we go through all the songs. But I'd love to maybe rapid fire through some of them. Um, you know, the first big one in 93 was What's It To You? I Loves the rhythm, two hearts beating, pounding down a match of steady and true. It's, it's just a great, a great song. But why do you think that one works so well as your first, you know, out of the box? You know, I was so young. When I first came out, I think I was 20, 22 or 23. And uh, uh, it was a, uh, uh, the songs fit, you know, where where I was in my life, you know, youthful. And uh, there was a new, a new uh, era of country music coming. And and I was uh, in the middle of that on the front end or middle, however you want to look at it. And there was this new growth you know, of, of fans as well. A lot of young folks, you know, that were my age and even younger who were, who were just getting into country music because of people like Garth Brooks, you know, and pure country came out with George Strait. You had Clint Black. He had an explosion of country music in the nineties. And, uh, and there was this, this new growth. And so I think what's it to you really was a great, you know, 
crossover song for a lot of people that were coming into country music and just youthful, you know, kids. And, and, you know, to this day, when we do that song, it's, it's wild because, you know, I will see, I'll see, you know, 15, 16, 17 year olds singing it to the top of their lungs. And uh, that's the most joy that, that an entertainer can have in their life. Honestly, when you look out and see that, that your music is reaching down into generations and that, uh, a song that may be older than the actual person singing it is still relevant. And that's how you know that it was a classic. And, uh, you know, there, there is no better feeling than that. My 11 year old daughter, Mary Elizabeth was at my show last night and, and she was, she just could not stop taking pictures and, 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 you know, and, and video. And when I got off stage, um, I came on the bus and she said, daddy, she says, there were so many young people there. You know, and it just—it just was. It really touched my heart. You know that that a my daughter, you know, who loves me and adores me, uh, got to get to see that and see that her dad is relevant. And dad's and number cool. two, that, <laughs> that she, and number two, she's right. You know that that it's impressive that there are a lot of young people there. It's, it's a great feeling. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I, I I guarantee people still sing that one. I mean, we all grew up with it, and so it just takes us right back. Um, and that first album also had "Live Until I Die," "Dream with My Eyes Wide Open." I mean, it was so it's such good stuff. But tell me about—I want to know about um, if I could make a living out of loving you, billion millionaire. Um, that's just one of those classic uh, country songs where it's like you know, if I might not have, might not be the richest guy or whatever, but man, if I could really, if I could just turn this love, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be loaded. <laughs> well, you mentioned. Um live until I die. Um, and if I can make a living out of love, then you I mean two songs that are, are, are pretty much, you know, staples of any concert we're going to do. And, and, uh, you know, they both have these huge fiddle intros, you know, which, which, you know, I've always been a huge, uh, fiddle fan. I think Amarillo by morning by George Strait is, is probably, you know, the greatest, country music song of all time and and oh uh, yeah you'll be looking so for I, eight when they pull that gate <laughs> <laughs> so i've always you know been influenced by by george and uh, in particular that song and so you know when i recorded live until i die and if i can make a living i certainly wanted those big fiddle intros on there and um, i came up with the melody you know for live until i die i wrote the song live until i die and the and the and I even wrote the intro you know the the, the the uh, the melody for the fiddle and uh i don't play fiddle but uh it was a pleasure just creating that 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 melody with the guitar and um if i can make a living it's so strange you know that that i've got you know i've got five young kids ages you know nine months to to 13 years old and and i have a lot of albums i've recorded but in my household pretty much every single day uh if you were in my house you would hear if I can make a living, I loving you playing on Alexa, because every time my three-year-old goes by, he says, Alexa, play if I can make a living by Clay Walker. <laughs> and so it's so funny, you know, that they have gravitated to, to that song in particular. And, um, and so every night if they're out, you know, if they're out with me and, and uh, they're, they're listening to the show. You know, they're begging me, Daddy. Please do it early. Don't, don't wait. Don't wait. Please do. If I can make a living out of loving you, and so it, you know, to me, 
that song has transcended, you know, time in a way that uh, it's just so evident. You know, I've I've got twelve albums, and they could pick any song they wanted to, and that's the one that mostly that they all want to hear. And so, you know, it was a it was a song that when we went in the studio, um, I knew immediately when I heard the song it was a hit. I did not write it. Uh, most people think I wrote that song, and and I wish I had it. But it was written by Alan Jackson, who had oh, sent no it. Oh no, joke! Over. I had no idea. Yeah, so it was written by Alan Jackson, who sent it over to me, and and I was shocked when I got it, you know. And and um, I did not know Alan personally, you know, other than doing some shows with him on the road. And he must have liked, you know, what I was doing uh, because it got to me. And I I said to my producer James Stroud, I said, "Well, that's Alan singing it." I said, "Did he already cut it?" He goes, "No." I said, "Well, why is he?" sending it to me he says clay he wants you to have it i said you gotta be kidding me and i said this is a smash i said that's that's a career song and he says well if you think so let's go cut it so when we cut it i said james I said this has to be the title track to the new to the new album i said let's put it out now <laughs> and he was he's like you're serious aren't you i said as a heart attack i said this song is so big i said alan's gonna be sorry he gave it to me <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you saying that now I, now I'm playing it out in Alan's voice. It could totally have been an Alan Jackson song. You know what I mean? I can hear him singing it, but you got to do it. That's so fascinating. And you know, what's funny too, is back in 94, you didn't even know what an Alexa was going to be. <laughs> and now your kids are requesting it on there. That's hilarious. Um, no, it's so funny. It, it's just so funny watching them walk by the, the lights out by the unit maker. And there's another song, um, uh, she won't be lonely long, but oh, you yeah, know, the newer my, one. My, well, like, oh, no, my younger kids, my younger kids call it, uh, they call it something about the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I just get so tickled when they want, it's, it's not the name of it, guys. You got to give Alexa the right name. <laughs> yeah, you, so, you say that, you might have Nirvana pop up there with some, <laughs> wasn't there a curse? That's right. Moment? Something right. in the way. Yeah, you got to be careful with that request. <laughs> um, well, cool. I mean, you, after I could make a living, if I could make a living, you rattled them off. Hypnotize the moon was great. Rumor has it was a smash. Um, but tell me about, gosh, I could just cherry pick any of these. Then what? That's so much fun. <laughs> you know, rumor has it was, you know, that whole album, the rumor has it album was just a, uh, a, a when I look back, you know, through the years, you know, which albums that I, I had the most fun on and, and it may not, it was a lot of people, you know, they're going to have their own memories with each song. But rumor has it that song itself was uh, I wrote that and and it, it was it laid. It's the only song that I've ever taken a pen to paper and just wrote it straight through without stopping. I, I, I don't think it took more than an hour to write it. And every song in my life, you know, has taken you know multiple days, sometimes years, to write and. Uh, that song almost wrote itself. And it's so fun to sing, you know, when people, I'll be on stage and if I hold the mic out, you know, or just don't even just listen to, listen to people sing the song, they're singing it louder than I am. Like I'm on the stage and I can hear it louder from their voices than my own. And, and so I really enjoy, you know, the live concerts because they, they, they tell you, how did this song affect people's lives? And you can hear it when they, when they sing it back to you. Then what was, uh, 
was, uh, you know, obviously, I say obviously, but to me, it was, you know, I, I was affected by, you know, Margaritaville, you know, Jimmy Buffett, and uh, he loved his loved his music growing up as a kid, and still do. And, and so on Then What, um, uh, John Vesner had written that song, and uh, he, he came out to a show in Minneapolis, and John Vesner's married to Kathy Matea, uh, who did 18 Wheels and a Dozen Roses. She was really big, you know, in the late oh, 80s. We, we just 90s. interviewed her. We've interviewed her about a month ago and, and all about where have you been? And I mean, yeah, man, a, 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 an icon, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She's one of the sweetest people, you know, that you'll ever meet. And her husband is as well, just kind, kind man. And uh, he came out to a show and, and his parents live or lived at the time up in the Minneapolis and he uh he or Minnesota excuse me somewhere up there and, and he said I got a song for you and he said but he goes I don't have a demo for it and uh, he said but I want to play it for you and I, he came on my bus and and I got him a guitar and he started playing then what but it was kind of in this folky uh attitude and a uh, real folk sounding you know and as he's playing it I said he got done and I said John I said would would you allow me some liberty with 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 the song, you know? And uh, he goes, "What are you hearing?" I said, "Man, I said I'm hearing like a <clears throat> Jimmy Buffett beach beat to it, you know." And he did he didn't look too pleased <laughs> by, <laughs> by the by the <clears throat> by the uh, idea. And, and I said, uh, "You know, well, just let me go cut it. Let me see what James Stroud thinks." I said, "And and." You know, if you don't like it, we we won't put it out. So I went in the studio with James and and played in the song. I did get uh, John Vesner to to lay down just a little track with him and a guitar. And James goes, "Man, I I'm not hearing what you're saying." And I said, "Well, I said I also want to have some steel drums on it." And James looked at me. He thought I was I was messing with him. I guess you know. And I said, this thing, it's guessing it's got so this is gonna be so fun. It's gonna be you just have no idea. And so he goes, Okay, I'm gonna go with it. You know, and so we we record the song and the steel drum player came in, the percussionist. And I, I am not joking, this is the one thing I remember about cutting a record. He was drenched. I'm I'm talking about dripping from head to toe. <laughs> and sweat from playing the steel drums on that song. And he gets done playing and he says, that is my favorite song I've ever played on in my life. Wow. And James Stroud is a percussionist. James Stroud is a drummer. You know, he, he played on old time rock and roll. He, James Stroud played on some monster records as, as a session player and drummer. And uh, so he got excited after that. James did. He started because he could see this percussionist, you know, just said, that's my favorite song I've ever played on. So we put the song out. Of course, you know, it, it flies up the charts and uh, it ended up at number one or number two. I can't remember. I think it was a one. But it was uh, it, it. You know, we always kick out beach balls uh, during the show on that song. And um, I learned that at a Jimmy Buffett concert. Uh, he did that in Houston, Texas at the Woodlands. And I was there and I got to experience that whole live performance. And I was like, when I saw the movement that it created, you know, we do it every, every night, 
you know, we kick out beach balls and people love it. They go crazy, but you know, you got to give credit where credit's due. If there was no Jimmy Buffett, there'd be no then what? Wow. Well, that's, yeah, that's gotta be one of the, the staples of, you know, one of your concert favorites, the upbeat, like a summer song, kick the beach balls for sure. Um, But then on the flip side, one of my favorite, arguably my favorite of yours, at least in terms of a heart tugger, more of a serious one, uh, the chain of love. It's the ultimate, How'd you write that? It's the ultimate pay it forward song. And and the, the idea of how, you know, just these random acts of kindness and the fact that it's sort of like every great country song, it like kind of loops around, back around at the end with that final line. I love you, Joe. And you realize it's the same person, <laughs> her husband from the beginning. But man, that's that's genius. Did you write that? Well, that's there's a very interesting twist to not only the song, but the person who wrote it. And uh, and I'll, I'll I'll tell you the story. And then I'll tell you who wrote it. Okay. So um, the first time I heard the song, I only listened to the first verse and chorus. And that's typically how I, I listen to songs if I'm going to record them. I don't really need to hear the rest of the song. It's just just first verse and chorus. And uh, if, if that doesn't just slay you, then there's, you know, there's, I'm not going to record it. So the person pitching me the song, um, uh, was over at Harlan Howard's uh, publishing company, and and I and they sent me the song, and uh, I passed on it, and I went into the publishing company to listen because we were getting ready to go record that week, and uh, so I, I walked in, I sat down, and the person was playing me uh, some songs, and then she said, uh, "I noticed you passed on Chain of Love," and I said. Uh, Chain of Love, Chain of Love. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. So I remember the song. I said, yeah, I said that. You know, I think it's a great song. He said, but, you know, it, it didn't just slay me in the first verse, of course. She goes, did you listen to the end of it? I said, no, I never do. She goes, well, I, I suggest you listen to the end of it. And she goes, you know, Garth Brooks <clears throat> has a second hold on it, and he wants it. And, I, and there's nothing like making a singer want a song to tell him that, that somebody else wants it, you know, especially Garth. And especially I, said, well, Garth I, I said, okay. I said, well, let's, let's listen to the rest of it. You know, so she plays the song, gets to the second verse. I'm like, man, that's really cool. You know, it's really cool. And then it hits that last line and my jaw dropped. And I'm just, I'm, I'm stunned <laughs> that I missed it, you know, and, and I'm sitting there and I go, you gotta be kidding me. I said, how does somebody come up with a song like this? I said, this is a phenomenal songwriter. She goes, well, she goes, he's in the other room. You wanna meet him? I said, sure. So she goes over, the, the songwriter's writing some songs inside the publishing company. And he, he, he walks in and it's, uh, it's Rory Feek. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hilarious roundabout way to get to that point. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, uh, there, there's a, you know, the, the great, the great songs and the, and, and the great songwriters, you know, it's not a, it's not a surprise that there's only, you know, a handful of them, you know, uh, that, that surround those great, like, like Dean Dillon, you know, uh, wrote all those great songs for George Strait, you know, sure. and, uh, you know, and then, you know, in the 70s and 80s, there was a guy named Harlan Howard, and I just happened to be at his publishing company, and I, I got to write with him. You know, we didn't we didn't write anything that that, that was was earth shattering. You know, that's how it goes. You know, you you write 
you know, you probably write, and this is not an exaggeration, you know, in, in the beginning of your career, you probably write a hundred songs to get one great one. And then <clears throat> as you write a great one, you write, you know, about, you know, probably 25 songs to get a great one. You start reducing that number down and then, then the number keeps going down as you, you go through your career. Um, if you're, if you're a really good songwriter and, uh, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm blown away, you know, that, that, that it is, and I've learned this in my career. It's not how great the singer is. It is always how great the song is. It, it has never failed. You know, you can take a, a mediocre singer with a unbelievable song and you will, you'll have a hit. You take a great singer and a mediocre song and no one will ever hear the singer or the song. <laughs> that's, that's the way it works every time. So the importance, you know, in someone's career should always be put in, on the song. And that, that's a, that, that is one of the greatest things I've ever learned. That is so, so true. Well, speaking of great songs, we probably only have time for, for one more. And then I, I really should let you run. You've been generous with your time. But I really have, I can't leave you without asking about um, a few questions. That song, particularly with what, you know, with what's happened in the past year with the pandemic and everything. Um, but it's just sort of this idea of, you know, reaching out to the heavens and, um, you know, you know, I, I don't mean to second guess you, God, or criticize what I don't understand. But these are just some big as a mere mortal here who who can only, you know, we, we sort of have blinders on. We, we can only understand so much as, as humans um, about, you know, the divine plan or whatever. But, you know, it's, talk about just why that song really hits hits hard when you wrote it. And then, and, and also, yeah, I mean, tie it into sort of now with the pandemic, you know, it's, it's like, why can this, why does this stuff happen? I, you know, I don't really, you know, have a rhyme or reason, you know, for, for life. I, I am a, you know, a strong believer, you know, in creation, you know, that, that, and I'm glad you asked the question because, you know, so many people avoid, you know, the religious or the God question, you know, in, in the media, especially. And, you know, to me, it's probably the most important question, you know, of anybody's life. And, and it's, you know, I am a pretty serious guy, you know, and, uh, I'm funny too. I like to have a good time, but man, you know, I'm a pretty serious guy, you know, about, about how I feel inside, you know, spiritually. And, 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 and I'm sure there's probably more people like me that probably don't talk about it, but, you know, going through being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, you know, when I was very, very young and living through that and living with it today, um, it just, you know, there's a lot of questions that I've had in my life, you know, I've never questioned God as, as to why, you know, he allowed me to have MS, you know, that that's never come out of my thought or anything. I don't know why, probably because of the way my mom raised me. But I, I, I do question things, you know, uh, like the song, you know, you know, why, why is there so much war? Why are there people, you know, in, you know, in Afghanistan, why are women and children so abused, you know, and, and, you know, and why does a country like the U.S., you know, why do we get to, to live in such freedom. You know, I don't know all the answers to these questions, but when I was diagnosed with MS, I read the book of Job and, you know, I had never read it. And, and it was just so deep, you know, I, I was, and I thought to myself, well, who would I be to complain 
you know, having MS, look at what this guy went through. You know, he lost all of his family, you know, all of his kids, all of his, 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 his wealth, everything, you know, and uh, why would God allow that? It's just, just so disturbing. And uh, so uh, the song, A Few Questions, is really just pointed right at, you know, the book of Job. And so it's, it's, it's a perfect song for me. You know, when I sing it, I'm going to feel something different than somebody that the the next person listening to it. But overall, you know, I I think that if you don't have a perspective, you know, that God created the world, um, then you're going to have a distorted perspective of everything else. And, you know, that, that for me is, is why I believe. And, and, um, and it's also blessed my life. Like I, I don't look in my life and say, golly, I have MS, poor me. You know, I absolutely never have felt, felt that way. And, and I think it's because of the way I believe. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's great. It, I love that. It's, it really shows your, I think it deepens your faith when you are asking those questions, you know, you're not just sitting there taking it verbatim. You, you are grappling with it and you are asking, how does this happen? I, I appreciate, I appreciate how you, how you tackle it in that song. And I appreciate you handling just the few questions I had for you here in this, in this interview. I appreciate it. Um, again, actually everyone, really great questions. I mean, you're, 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 you're quite prepared. I gotta say, you know, sometimes you get in interviews and you know, the person is not, 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 not so prepared. And, uh, I'm really proud that you uh, took the time to, to think about the questions you were going to ask. And, uh, cause it gives the, you know, it's all about the people listening, you know, they, they, they want to get to know the artist better. And the only way to do that is, is through, you know, this type of format. And I think it's, uh, I think it, it, it works so great when the other person like yourself gets it and says, man, I gotta, I, w- I want to deliver, you know, for that listener and uh and because you're a listener yourself you know what they want to hear and, and I, I appreciate it very much well you made it easy on me sir i appreciate it again everyone uh clay walker coming to the hollywood casino at charlestown races on october 22nd thank you so so much oh thank you jason and it's gonna be a great show i promise you that definitely thanks so much for for doing oh. this i really appreciate it thank you brother take care Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.